call it. Welcome to episode 31 of Call a Friend or the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Donica Tiernan watched three films which are thematically linked to the classic Fyodor Dostoevsky novel Crime and Punishment, the 1997 Scandinavian thriller Insomnia, its 2002 Hollywood remake and Robert Bresson's 1959 film Pickpocket. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for all three films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Please follow Call It Friendo Podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes, or any or all of the above. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at callitfriendopodcast at gmail.com. Also joining us in the background of this episode was Donica's daughter, who was watching Chronicles of Riddick. I can't get no sleep. Have you been watching anything in your spare time or just playing loads of games? I've at the well, I'm still playing Assassin's Creed Syndicate. I've got Last of Us Part Two ready to go. Disco nice. Elysium is on the is on the old chopping block. But nice. yeah, I've watched I've watched multiple seasons of things over the last week. Wow. It's quite impressive actually. So you're I know, for me it's a lot. You're getting on the, the it sounds like you're on the Brit crime buzz that I'm on. I've got a recommendation yeah, for you basically, in that case. Oh, nice, nice, because I'm basically I'm going from like police procedural to police procedural. Uh, I'm catching up on a lot of UK shows that I missed out on in, in previous years. Well, actually, one is from this year, which is season four of Unforgotten. I haven't watched Have any watched of that? Unforgotten yet, but it's so on my list, and people are saying this season is ah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's solid. It's pretty good. The thing about it is this is season four. I think I watched the first three seasons last year because they were all on Netflix, but... It's quite formulaic. Each season is, I mean, it's six episodes. It's a UK TV series. So each season follows almost exactly the same formula. But it's solid. It's, it's a good show. It's got Sanjeev Bhaskar. Yeah, I like from, Sanjeev Bhaskar. Uh, goodness, from, uh, goodness gracious me. Yeah. And also he sometimes um, sits in for Mark Kermode on the uh, Mayo and Kermode BBC film ah, podcast. He yeah, he does. Okay. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good show. It's it's a cold case police procedural. So they dig up a body, but then they have they have to figure out how it connects to the people. That's the kind of police procedural that I'm looking for. More mysterious. I watched Happy Valley after your recommendation. I agree with you. It's it's like a kind of northern Fargo. Fargo I, th- I, I thought it England. was absolutely terrific. I Fargo. really 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 enjoyed Happy Valley. Yeah, it's great. I thought it's it's really 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 good, but in a kind of Fargo way that it's just a very dark drama that unfolds with uh, Sarah Lancashire from Coronation Street. That's why I know her from. I didn't even the, the, star, uh, the, the the Fargo thing didn't uh, occur to me, but yeah, you're totally it's the it's the exact same setup. You're being led into this jungle of murky horrors by somebody nice that you like. That's that's it. A maternal figure. Yeah, because it it's. It's just a dark drama. There's no mystery element because everything is revealed. Like we see it from both sides. Okay, you see mm. the 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 uh, main character trying to figure out exactly what's going on. She's trying to solve a mystery of sorts. But uh, I I really really like it. It's a is an excellent show. It, I'm I'm kind of starting to follow your system of watching a season of something and then switching out which I think makes a bit more sense because I feel like I'm using stuff up. I, I understand why you came to that way hmm. of thinking. Oh, well, good, good. And, I'm got, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think I'm, I'm on board. I'm All on board, board as well. So it, yeah. I only watched the first season of Happy Valley. The other thing I watched, I started watching The Night Of. Oh, finally. that's brilliant. So I'm about, I think I'm six episodes in of the eight. Oh, I feel like watching that so again no, when you talk about don't tell it. Me any, don't tell me anything about it. But as we, I think we discussed when we watched uh, Separation, Payman yeah. Madi is, uh, is the father. Yes, that's right. It. Yeah. So it's nice to see. Yeah, it's good to see him back. God, that's a good show, isn't Separation. it? It is excellent. It is very, very, very good. Like the... And, um, yeah, I'm three, I'm three quarters of the way through it. The rhythm is so... Like, I've never been wrongfully accused of something and confined to Rikers Island but the rhythm of it seems so realistic do you know what I mean like yeah. his time in prison is gruelingly slow like it's it's mm. it just seems like oh god what's gonna happen it's terrifying 
Yeah, I yeah. loved that. I would like to spoilers for Happy Valley there, but uh, did you did you expect what went down in at the end of episode four? No, no, yeah. So that's another reason why Happy Valley is good is because it gives you like the thing. It's what you said last week. What you expect to happen in see in episode six comes in episode four, and you're like, oh shit! Oh like, yeah, it, where, where are we going now? It's kind of mental. It fucking sets the pulse racing, like, and you're like, there's six yeah. episodes of this. What the hell? Yeah, that was incredible mm. stuff. I really enjoyed that. Uh, actually, there's a very good interview with Sally Wainwright early on, like years ago now, in uh, Adam Buxton's podcast, talking about Happy Valley ah. series one. So if you wanted to uh, catch up on that, that'd be Worth your time, I, I would say. I saw she's got that, uh, is, is it an HBO show that she's got? Uh, Gentleman Jack from a couple of years ago. Yeah, she does. Yeah, I have no interest in it. Um, I, I, I want, <laughs> I, I kind of wish I was more interested in it. What I read about it, I was like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Early I like, LGBT I, the way I find it characters, is, I don't know. I, you can't force yourself to be interested in things you're not interested like i like i think i watched oh yes you can two episodes total of um lena dunham's show girls and i just couldn't That's two more than me i just couldn't get on board with it i like I, it was just a giant a big giant no thank you from me and uh, like you know i mean people could come at me anyway they like i like there you're if you came at me on account of that you'd be coming at a man who has watched every single episode of Sex in the City at least once. So, I mean, there are mm. things that I can get on board with uh, from that side of the track. Uh, it's good that you are Im- inviting people to come at you about come this. Come at me, bro. That's or at what least I warning them. Uh, as is the what case... What have you been watching? As is the case with, I, I presume, anybody who's got a new baby in their house, I've been watching a shit ton of stuff. <laughs> oh, probably too much. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Are you I- watching more now? than when oh certainly previously certainly yeah that's brilliant yeah and people like people took great pride in warning me that i wouldn't be able to do this but as we talked about on here like my ability to just switch off and switch into something is non like it's like it's right there i can just do that anytime just after watching the latest episode of falcon and the winter soldier and just oh i haven't seen that yet just to let everybody know it finally gets a little bit good for me on episode four because I haven't been a big fan of it so far, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, we, we never talked about the last one, but I thought episode three was awful. Oh. I was struggling to focus on it. I thought it was really, really poor. Well, let's so talk it, about it. The news that gets better is good. I really, yeah, I couldn't believe that past the Marvel bar, the writing in that episode. Yeah, I was. there was one scene where they go to a nightclub and they dance for 10 seconds and then they're like, okay, we got the information, now we're leaving the nightclub, let's go to the next location. It was just such a strange thing. And also, they've got Sam disguised as this guy who he's not, who's... <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just it's, it was very dumb. Like, considering yeah. the effort that Marvel made to build up this the cross film mythology over the last 10 years or so that was just mm-hmm. i just couldn't get on board with it i also feel like the quote unquote banter between sam and bucky is painful it's, it's just not good. it's not good i also feel like uh breaking out zemo and trying to make him into a good guy really that's that's the i don't i the only thing i don't mind about that is zemo's quite good so i, I like a bit of daniel bro I like a bit of Daniel Brühl, I do. I didn't like the fact that he just put on the mask at the end for no reason. That was mad. I like that. I liked he put the mask on and then shot a bunch of people and then took it off. Fair enough, fair enough. Anyway, I felt this week's episode was a big improvement on on it in general. Okay, well, I'll watch that after after our chat. I will watch that. I really enjoyed that. I won... did Did I talk about watching Halloween last week? No. No, you didn't. Well, I... Yeah, so I... Just in the middle of the night, I figured, okay, a lot of horror movies have lost a lot of potency, mainly when you watch them out of the cinema with people who have no attention span because they'll talk uh, they'll talk to you and they'll look at their phones and all the potency has gone out of them. I'm just sitting there with I my baby. I feel like you're talking about your, you're yes, talking I am. About your lady. <laughs> this, but yeah, okay, just checking. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just sitting there with my baby, uh, having just gotten her to sleep. And I, I see I've got my... HD headphones beside me and my copy of Halloween there and it's only 90 minutes and I'm like okay I'm gonna give this a go because I've been watching a lot of slashers trying to just get to grips with what 
made the genre essentially and this is the I don't know, the epicenter. You had a lot of stuff, starting with Psycho and Peeping Tom on one side and then all the Italian Jalo movies on the other. And all of it was building towards Halloween and then it basically boomed away towards postmodernism with Scream in the late 90s. But John Carpenter's Halloween is the original. And I have to say, I had admired it, but this time I just really, really enjoyed it. Given the opportunity to focus in, and if you really like appreciate, I don't know, filmmakers in general, I suppose... Halloween is just a minimalist masterpiece. There's hardly any blood. The only key ingredient really is fucking John Carpenter's genius. You've just got camera placement. He does the score. Uh, One key thing that I think a lot of other slasher films are missing is it's not a movie about Mike Myers. It's a movie about Laurie Strode, and that's really important. She's a likable character. Huh? Huh? I said, oh, behave. Well, what did I say? No, you said it's not a film about Mike Myers. Oh, right. <laughs> nice. I'm just ripping off that uh, joke from Baby Driver <laughs> that they do, because I watched that the other day, I remember. He's uh, like, you, you put on a bunch of Michael Myers masks, and then... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is all, quite... That's very funny, all, They've actually. all got Austin Powers yeah, mask, yeah, yeah. masks on. That is a good gag. And as though then to actually hammer all my points home that it was the it's just the genius of John Carpenter, I watched Halloween 2 soon after, which is an awful mess of a movie. I really don't recommend anybody watch that. I don't that. know if I've ever seen it. Um, Halloween 2. I have, I, mean, no, it's, I have no recollection of it. It's interesting if you're interested. I'll put it like that. And it takes place exactly the night after. This is no big spoiler. If you don't know oh, by now, you I won't. Have watched it. But they, they, they dole in the information that John Carpenter says he came up with when he was drunk uh, because he said he wrote he wrote the script for the second one as well. That Laurie Strode is actually Mike Myers' sister, which is a, just a dumb yeah, twist. Yeah, I remember that. It's a stupid twist. Um, it's interesting, though, because it's like, like he eventually became a Hollywood pariah. We've talked about it a little bit. He couldn't get a movie made if he tried these days. But the amount of money he made with Halloween is insane. Yeah. And he kickstarted a whole boom in the 80s, some of which I watched then. But before I watched anything more, so I watched the mess of the movie that is Halloween 2. Then I watched The Good Boys, uh, which I really enjoyed, actually. You know, the one, basically, it's super bad, but they're children. What is that like? I mean, is it? It's fun. Superbad, it's fun. It's not as good as Superbad. I, I think Superbad's an excellent film, but it's it's fun. I enjoyed it. And then off the back of that, I followed Jake Tremblay right into Room, a film I've bizarrely seen like three or four times, but it's really good. Tell anybody that's that, weird. I've I've seen Room once, and I have no real desire to watch it again. It's the strangest feel-good movie you'll ever see in your life because it's ob- ob- <laughs> objectively miserable. But it, like yeah. honestly, it's a real feel-good movie. Honestly. It'll mm. leave you buzzing. It's great. Um, and there's a c- the scene in it, spoilers, guys, where he escapes, still leaves me on the edge of my seat, genuinely. See, I, I yeah, did. Yeah, that is why well, I remember that part as well, mate. I, I mean, I can still remember that from the one time I watched it. That's imprinted on my brain. I did get through a lot of stuff. I got, th- I got, I got three more. That is a massive amount. This makes my three... I got uh, two and a bit seasons of TV look rubbish. I got three more, and one of them is a big recommend, as well as the movies that we had to watch for this week. And one of them Jesus is a big Christ. recommend for uh, you. So then I watched Prom Night, which is another slasher with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. These are oh, good. Oh, yeah. It's not good, though. Like, it's got a really cool, spooky opening scene where a bunch of children kill another kid by accident. But when then, is it from? Uh, 1981. Hmm. Uh, but then it just gets really, really dumb. Um, and it's not fun, it's boring. And it's a pity because the first scene is genuinely quite spooky. Then I watched Bridge of Spies. Wow. Oh, yeah, I watched that. Oh, God, it's so class. It's just... I. The only problem I had with that was I remember I was really, really tired. I saw it in the cinema and I was falling asleep just because I was really, really tired. And then there's a scene where someone shoots at uh, Tom Hanks's house. Yes. And that woke me up and it jarred me awake for the rest of the film. Nice. So thank God they included that gunshot. That's thank God he, he, thank God uh, Jim Donovan got shot at. Yeah. I su- uh, soon afterwards, actually, that I, I uh, listened to the first, ep- the first episode of the uh, Directors Guild of America podcast with Martin Scorsese interviewing Steven Spielberg. And Ooh. like they talk about Bridge of Spies for like five minutes, then they just talk about movies in the 70s and stuff. Honestly, somebody should just find a forum to record those two talking for like two fucking hours. I'd listen all day. It was incredibly entertaining. Now, 
uh, the last thing I watched is a three-part series. I hope it's I, something I've already seen. That ITV made, and you will really enjoy it considering the buzz you're on. It's called The Pembrokeshire Murders. I've heard of this, but I have don't know much about it at it's all. It's got Luke Evans, Luke Bloody Evans-like, and um, Keith Allen plays John Cooper, sure. Welsh serial killer. And um, mm. it's just a great... The thing it reminded me most of was The Wire, actually. Because you're just watching police painstakingly do what they do. Ah, oh, nice. That's what I want. This is exactly what I'm looking for, is like almost to a level of being boring police procedural. Yep. Like, that's what I want. That's what I like about the night of, is that they go into so much depth. And that's what I'm looking for at this point. Check it out. There's only three episodes. The Pembrokeshire yeah, okay. Murders. Well, that's a shame that there's only three. How long is each episode? An hour? About an hour, yeah. And it's it's really good. Yeah. I flew through it. Really enjoyed that now. Solid. I'll add that to the list. Yeah, but then bang in the middle of it were these uh, two introspective, almost amoral films, I would say. Did you watch the Nolan Insomnia too? I did watch the Nolan Insomnia also. Yeah, me too. Me too. I watched it last night. Let's... So maybe we can just reference between the two insomnias. That's what I was uh, I was thinking we would do anyway. Yeah, uh, straight out the bat, which did you prefer? Definitely, definitely the Nolan one. But mm. I w- I watched the original first, then I watched the remake, and as we've previously discussed, like I've seen the Nolan one five times at mm. least now. I would say, and this was definitely my least favorite time. Just because I think some of the gloss was taken off of it from seeing how much of it came from the first film. Well, it's very interesting, you see, because I think what they did with it in the remake was just dilute the Scandinavian nihilism down to a nub and add a bunch of American justice. Yeah, I really didn't. I didn't like the ending of the of the Nolan version this time. Well, especially compared to the the nineteen ninety seven version. Yeah, I am, um, and like it that I suppose, like it, it, off the back of that, Nolan bid, basically did get his big uh, big fat ticket into Hollywood, I suppose. But it's like, yeah, uh, the 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 key elements that they change really do change the entire meaning of the film, even though most of the story Absolutely. stays exactly the same, which was interesting. Um, are you a big fan of Scandi Noir, as it's called? No, not at all. I mean, I would like to get into it, but the last Scandinavian noir thing that I watched, I think, was uh, The Snowman. (laughs) I think we've talked about that before. It's one of the worst films I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. I agree. It's terrible. Um, Um, So that was my last attempt at Scandinavian noir. No, I, I, I know there's all these, like, uh, The Bridge and the, like, Wallander and all those type of series and things like that, but I, I will eventually get around to all that. All right. Well, I'll start talking us through so what went down with this. So this was directed by a... Oh, no, it's my turn to do this this time. Eric Skjöldbjörg. This this was directed by Eric Skjöldbjörg and written by Skjöldbjörg <laughs> and Nikolaj Flobinius, uh, starring Sk- yeah. Stellan Skarsgård and some other people. One other fellow quite recognisable actually is the rapist from Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, Bjorn... F- uh, oh, was was he the... Uh... He was the writer, I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah. He was a murderer. Oh, wow, well, we're doing spoilers. <laughs> yeah, he was the baddie. I'm going to double check that now just to see, am I right? Wait, 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 do you mean he was in the the Swedish version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Um, maybe if I'm right, but I might not be, and I'm not. No, I'm wrong. <laughs> Sorry about that. Wait, but you, wait, you, you, you thought he was from the Swedish version of Girl yes, with I the did, Dragon yes. Tattoo, not the Fincher one. Yeah, okay, okay. I thought you were because the Fincher guy, the one from the Fincher one, he was in Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, we we dug that out. Yeah, yeah just t- just checking, just checking. Those would have been quite some Venn diagrams overlapping there had had we managed that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in a really actually creepy opening scene, we see a 17-year-old named Tanya being murdered um, in the first person on videotape, it looks like. And then we cut to an aeroplane where police officers Jonas Engström, who's Swedish, and Erik Vik are uh, being called in to investigate this murder. Now, in the Nolan version at this point, 
we find out that Al Pacino's partner um, is going to be testifying against him when they're on the plane. Which, whereas in the original, uh, Stellan Skarsgård's character is Swedish and he has relocated to Norway because there has been some. He was he was caught shagging a witness. Yeah, he's caught shagging a witness. Is what I understood. Um, he's caught shagging a witness, and um, it didn't. As the this particular story progresses, it doesn't seem like he's the victim of anything really. As a matter of fact. I'm no. gonna he's a he's a he's all, a he's, he's a villain in this like well it, it's a completely different story it, it doesn't function at all in the same way because you're removing any conflict between him and his partner there's no question over whether he meant to shoot his partner yeah um which and is it, a is a massive aspect of the 2002 version but with the 2002 version already now we're we're getting, we're getting to the comparisons but with the 2000 it, it, fuck it it doesn't matter it's going to this is what it's going to yeah, be yeah no 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 no, no we're I mean, I'm good with it back and forth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, how, we'll call 1997 and 2097 and 2002 but with the 2002 version okay so they actually deal with one of the one of my big pet peeves with in general murder mysteries of any sort which is like key plot aspects of far more than murder mysteries than I'd care to name is people lie when they shouldn't lie and it's clear in this film in the 1997 version still in Starsgard should not have lied Al Pacino's character maybe yeah. had a reason to lie yeah, Ste- there's yeah, 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 there's yeah. no way Stellan Skarsgård's character should have lied, and this is always the fucking engine in these stories. Is somebody goes and they true. start lying, and it's like it it bugs me. Like I've re- I I I've read a lot of um, airport books over my years. Let's put it like that, and it's always fucking centered on somebody lying when they should not have lied. And I don't and I don't yeah. buy it a lot of the time. Is the thing. Anyway, yeah. So they get yeah, to yeah. Let's let's go back to the plot, and then we'll get yeah, the yeah, differences. They, they um they touch down. It, it transpires as in the two thousand and two version that uh, it's going to be daylight here for the entire film, and they're bumping along. They check Wait, in. They're they're in the Arctic Circle somewhere. Yeah, they're in the Arctic Circle. It's announced when they're flying on the plane. They check into a hotel. Uh, his older partner Vic uh, attempts a little bit of flirtation with the receptionist. And uh, then they bugger off up to And their... it should be pointed out, the receptionist is like 22 years old or something. The receptionist, the actress is younger than the best friend of the victim. The, the, the woman who, the actress who plays the best friend of the victim, who's supposed to be in the story like 17, she was yeah. about 28. And you wow. can see it on her face. She's, she's from Norway. She's obviously had to live with the elements. And you can see a bit of that, like... There's, you know, maybe the lower half of her face looks like she could be a teenager. And when it gets to the eyes, you're like, this is a lady who's seen some shit. <laughs> she's, had, she's been wiping snow off of her brow for at least half of her life. Uh, all right. Well, so so anyway, so it's a very strange situation because the the uh, the woman who's working at uh, a reception of the hotel is clearly much younger than a person who's supposed to be a teenager in it. Yes. Which is very strange. Yes. The kind of, well, I suppose the flirtation aspect with the receptionist is an element that didn't quite survive it into the Nolan version. But then again, much of the perviness did not. Um, yeah. So no. I put that down to uh, the Scandinavians. with Skarsgård. And their ways. Yeah. So then uh, we meet uh, the Norwegian versions, uh, Hilary Swank, who's played by Hilda Hagen, who... Um, Hello, I'm Hilary Swank. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'll give points to the Nolan one because uh, in that one she seemed she was a previous partner of Al Pacino's character, which kind of does a bit of work for the sort of connection they have going on. Where there's you know there, there's no real. They, I I wonder how it would be uh, analyzing the connection between Stellan Skarsgård and um, the the, the uh, Hilda Hagen, the police officer. Had you, wait, I wait, na- wait. What what are you saying is the connection between Hilary Swank and Al Pacino? They oh in the in the in the Nolan yeah she they they previously had worked together no but she she had studied his cases she studied his case files that's how she knows everything about him because when she was at the academy mm-hmm. she did her case study on on one of his on his famous cases oh, they don't was, know each other it wasn't that they had worked together oh I'm silly 
No, 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 no. No, they didn't know each other at all. But Al Pacino, so the guy who's the chief of police in the Nolan version, he called, he is an ex-colleague of the guy who I assume is like the chief in L.A. Mm. Or if they're, he's like their boss had called them in because this guy, the guy who's in in Alaska must have previously lived in Los Angeles. So he called, he asked for them to send uh, Dormer and Eckhart up to help them because they had a murder case the first ever person to be murdered in Alaska, <laughs> in Alaska. anyway much the same as uh, with the Nolan film they set up a plan to lure the murderer back to the scene of the crime um, but the uh, the stakeout is blown the murderer flees he finds a tunnel underneath the house and uh, Engstrom ends up shooting somebody he sees in the fog which transpires to be his partner this is the point I'm saying why the hell didn't he just tell the truth uh, about it also it was unusual that he had a gun or that anybody had a gun in this scene because they're in Norway he still carries a gun from his days in the police and the murderer who we later find out to be a crime writer from the area um, was carrying a gun too but then all of a sudden before we know it it's very very foggy and uh, Engstrom has shot his partner and immediately begins to uh, cover it up. Well, no, actually, no, no, no. In the in the Norwegian version, he sort of plays along initially, but then realizes that everybody assumes that the murderer actually shot fake, and then just decides to play along with that. Well, instead. it's when he, it's it's is exactly the same as uh, in the Nolan version. It's when he's sitting talking to the chief of police or whoever the guy who's in charge mm. who says like okay so then the molly mole he guy. says like okay so the guy came out and then and then killed your partner and then there's like a few beats where he has the chance to set the record straight but ultimately he's just like fuck it i'll go along with it then we go super yeah, norwegian then we go super norwegian and instead of yeah, uh, ta- tampering with the, the basically there's a much more innocent way to tamper with ballistics in america because it involved basically he shoots a dog it's not cool uh, oh yeah 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 in uh, christopher nolan's insomnia he shoots a dead dog which isn't as bad really and uh, fishes the bullet out and replaces it in the evidence room it's so funny watching, like, looking at these two films, you can see massive cultural differences. Mm. Just... Well, yeah, yeah, this in is... In Hollywood, well, the, the, big one the is idea of up. killing a dog, and but even killing a dog in a, in a Hollywood film is frowned upon. Yeah, there's massively. a whole um, Barry Levinson film uh, that pivots on just that. It's called uh, What Just Happened with Robert De Niro about... Um, a director fiddling with the final cut of a film in the Cannes Film Festival, uh, wondering whether or not to cut out a scene where Sean Penn shoots a dog. <laughs> True story. Okay, well, good point to ask. So do you reckon the way this film is being presented, we're supposed to be with Jonas or against him? It wasn't his fault. So I guess you're kind of with him. He's still, he's not actively trying to do anything bad for most of the film. I mean, he goes, he's, he's, there's an element of like self-preservation and, uh, I mean, he obviously goes out and meets the psycho very Ooh, similar. Oh, I don't know. I think in the, the next, to, to in the, the next part of the film that all, those waters get very, Wait, very are, murky. Are you, say, are you, are you saying that fingering a 17 year old while driving <laughs> at high speeds towards a dump where another 17 year old had been murdered and her body placed Well, that's there. certainly that part one of what I had a problem with. Yeah. Yeah, Jonas uh, Jonas uh, corners one of uh, Tanya's schoolmates and uh, takes her on a drive and uh, sort of feels her up in the car and fingers her a little bit and then they get out of the car and she tells him that Tanya had been seeing a crime writer who lives in the area called John Holt, played in uh, the Nolan film, of course, amazingly, by Robin Williams. Yeah. Particularly when you land on the part that uh, was played by Robin Williams. I mean, it's appropriate to just zoom in on like star power just being a real thing. Like Pacino and Williams just arguing over the movie like a fucking carcass of meat is, I mean, it's just something else. They've like, Nolan shoots the film very well and they go with an awful lot of the same aesthetic as the Norwegian film, but the value of those two boys leading the show cannot be understated, you know? Yeah, it's very, very, it's very different uh, compared to Skarsgård and 
Yeah, uh, I both like Skarsgård and Holt both seem like the bad guys. Holt, yeah, Bjorn Fluberg. That's his name. Bjorn Fluberg, yes. Hello, I'm John Holt. So this is the only accent that it's kind of acceptable to do, as we've touched on when uh, the Square and uh, Fanny and Alexander. Really, any kind of Scandinavian accent is the one sort of safe area where we can just go buck wild. Pluton Totten. What happens next? Where Apolo- are we at? Apologies to any Scandinavians. What happens next? Where are we at? Oh, yes. So John Holt calls his hotel room. <laughs> Steve and he Holt. Know- he, knows it's hi- it's- he knows it's him immediately. And um, he devises a time and place where he can meet him. Uh, in the Nolan Hello, version... it's me. I killed the girl. The Nolan version, it's on a ferry. I killed the girl you're looking for. <laughs> Wait, why don't we meet on the cable car? We'll meet on the cable car. I'm going very Cornwall on this. Uh, yeah, they meet in the cable car anyway, and Stellan Skarsgård does the whole which thing. Which is which is another is a nice that's a nice uh, location to shoot mm. over cable car or ferry. What's what's your preference? I'll take ferry because mm. the ferry scene in Insomnia is where Al Pacino says to Robin Williams you're about as mysterious to me as a fucking block toilet is to a plumber <laughs> yeah that is a quality bit of dialogue yeah, i do enjoy that back and forth uh yeah that's i th- do you you're my job yeah yeah it is a, it is a very good scene actually anyway it's at this point then in the Norwegian version where uh, once Jonas realizes that uh, John Holt has something on him, they decide to collude together to evade the authorities. Now, in the Nolan version, I'll acknowledge, Pacino coaches Williams a little bit on how to deal with the police, but it's full-on collusion here They because they opt to hide the gun under Tanya's boyfriend's bed. Yeah, um, but I he's mean, a bit of a knob as well. Although, actually... It, in the Scandinavian version, he's. It's not suggested that that he was hitting her, is it? Oh no, it is. It, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Now I've, I've, I'm really confused, having watched both of them. They've they've merged into the same film in my head, which is a problem. It is, yeah, because now ma- I'm trying to remember. Uh, mainly because, yeah, it's um, like Stellan Skarsgård is just a very different character to the Al Pacino one. They frame up the boyfriend anyway as Stellan Skarsgård. Um, hangs out behind the door and Tanya's boyfriend, Roger's her best friend. Oh yeah, that's right. We get to see a sex scene. Yeah, yeah. Good old sex scene. And actually, they di- I, ju- I don't know, the way they edited that, initially it felt like he was being a pervert or something like that. But then he was actually... <laughs> he's, he's being a perv through most of it. Yeah, yeah, he is a perv. Actually, yeah, because then the, in the next scene... Well, hold on. I hate to say this, but the reception—he's a full-on bad guy. Now you—you're now you've—you've you've reminded me of the fact that yeah, he's like he's—he is a bad guy. He's like he touches up a seventeen-year-old in a car. He attempts rape. He's like hanging out in a bedroom while a couple of teenagers have sex. He's got all kinds of wrongness going on. Yeah, he's Nicolas Cage in fucking Bad Lieutenant, like right. But by God, do I respect him. <laughs> Yeah, and he gets the job done. Um, he does. He gets it done. Yeah, because his next uh, little thing is... Well, no, to be fair, the receptionist does give him a little bit of energy, I would say. I don't understand why there's... Where does the turn come? Is it just that he's being very aggressive? Yeah. She seems okay at the start. Yeah, she is. And then he... Yeah, he does. He just seems to be very aggressive. And I don't think he knows another way. Consent matters, folks. And around the same time... A lady police officer, as she shall, uh, Hilda Hagen, is hot on his tail, basically. She says that his account of things does not make sense. And she also says that... Your account of things does not make sense. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The ballistics report doesn't quite add up. I'm going to have to do it again, (laughs) yeah? Uh, Okay, you're doing Indian now. That's a problem. Oh, fuck. All right, sorry. I... I, uh, I retract my statement. Holt goes on the run as Hilda Hagen is uh, zeroing in on him. And uh, then, uh, yeah, he's a full-on bad guy. Engstrom basically realizes, I have to get to Holt before Hilda Hagen does. Otherwise, she he's going to spill the beans on me. So then he goes out to Holt's house and it kind of transpires that she was Tanya was never really having an affair with him. He was just kind of... She was a big fan of his books, and then he was a 
dirty sex pervert like Jonas Engstrom was. Then they were birds of a feather, essentially. But because John Holt lives in such a rickety pile of sticks, he ends up, as he's being chased, falling through the deck and smacking the back of his head and uh, drowning horribly. It's a horrible way to die. Yeah, and only Stellan Skarsgård's character is witness to that. Yeah, there's um, no one else there in this version. No, no, no. Um, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, it occurs differently in the other one because Robin Williams manages to get a shot off at Al Pacino, right? Not only that, but Hilary Swank. So the 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 yeah, Hilary Hil- Swank Hilda is there, and, of yeah, the, he's, and he's using she, her she gun. She goes there first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. and that's the reason Al Pacino is so hard pressed to get it sorted essentially um but then she says in the nolan version she says to al pacino's character as he's dying that she'll discard the evidence she has that he actually did the first shooting and he says no no don't go down the same route i did which is a very american it's a big injection no. of american justice into a very nihilistic thing. story Ugh. which never bothered me it never bothered me until having watched the scandinavian mm. version now, now ha- well, having seen that version and then going back to the Nolan one, it was just like, what the hell? This is just so out of place. Have you ever, um, I know the answer to this, have you ever read Crime and Punishment? I read the Wikipedia synopsis. Well, like, honestly, it's the best book I ever read. And I put it aside for okay. so long because I was just afraid of being a dummy and not getting it. And then I was going on holidays a few years ago and I just said, fuck it. I brought no other books, just brought Crime and Punishment. And I actually read it before the week was out because I don't know what it was. It's just, it's just a, it's an amazing psychological masterpiece. And I'm not into big, old, boring books except sometimes, but this is a real, this is a psychological airport turner. Anyway. This is one of the reasons why, like, it's been exp- the the general idea of it of like if is getting away with a crime okay um, has been explored time and time again by so many people, and um, this film, the Norwegian film, gives a really interesting angle on that, which is that well, it's not okay, but I bet it happens. I bet people sometimes just get away with stuff, and that's exactly what happens. Sure, absolutely. uh, Hagen shows him the cartridge case. This is after everything and just when he's leaving town. She shows him the case, which kind of proves more or less that he shot his partner. But uh, she basically lets him off and then he leaves town and we just fade into blackness, focusing on his white eyes, which um, I suppose are so lit up because he's never quite gotten over the insomnia he's been suffering in the place. And that's sort of it. It's a real sort of a cynical, nihilistic film. And the, yeah, that ending in particular did remind me of the end of uh, the Werner Herzog version of uh, Bad Lieutenant. Bad uh, Lieutenant. Have you, uh, do you recall what the ending of that is like? I, uh, I remember when he's in the police precinct and the guy just jumps into frame, <laughs> kind of smiling, like, kind of like, hey. Yeah, I, no, I don't think very, that's the very, ending. But it's closer. It's just before that. I what, I what I believe what happens is, is like, so he solves. He's every- like everything is okay, and he start he starts laughing manically. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. Is that yeah. not the end? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's the same scene. All right, fair enough. Yeah, because the guy from the start, yeah, yeah, arrives in, and he's like, "You saved me at the yeah." And the whole thing is, is that he got away with all the nonsense that he did during the film. And he's never going to see any repercussion about it. And like, yeah, still in Skarsgård's character does deserve some repercussion from what went on in this film. And nope, never going to happen. He's also moving. He says he's moving back to Sweden. He's like, I've had enough of this. <laughs> so he's just going to go back to Sweden and forget this whole Norwegian episode. Is like Norway is to Sweden what like Wales is to England. Is that how it works? It seems that it seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah, because like actually, yeah, on multiple occasions during the film, people are going, "Yeah, we don't understand what you're saying, dickface, fucking Swedish prick." Yeah, they don't. They're not big fans. Yurt. So you survived I this. Was gonna... Still preferring the Nolan version. Definitely. Yeah, me too. I definitely prefer. I mean, I overall, I'd have to go with Nolan, but like, so the big, the big, big differences are. There's in the original. There's no witness case. There's no IAD. Mm. There's no. There's not. There's no problem between the detectives. There's no sexual abuse of the teen in the car. There's no attempted rape on the hotel worker. There's no killing the dog in the Nolan version. And there's no escaping from punishment. Like these are all the major. But those are all kind of 
yeah, I mean, it's a completely different film for those reasons. It's not the same thing at all. Eric Schuldberg said he was very happy that Nolan was the person who who remade it. Yeah. Um, I he but was like I mean I get how you Nolan would be version. because happy with it because I mean it, you could kind of it's almost like it's like an inversion of what happened with the book The Shining with uh, Stanley Kubrick's version of it because the only thing that's right. really true to the book is just the how crazy Jack Torrance is like what an evil force of energy mm-hmm. he has buried underneath him and all the events surrounding that kind of completely change uh, except for the hotel and that uh, but here basically the kind of person Al Pacino's character is as opposed to Stellan Skarsgård's character is completely changes I feel um, he's not as manic like he, there's a moral center to him and that makes it and there's, uh, al- there's also a moral center to the storytelling one of the other big differences is about the insomnia itself because in the original still in Skarsgård is fine he's completely okay until he shoots his partner and it's the guilt that's really it's clear that it's only the guilt that's where that's weighing on him mm. whereas in the Nolan version like Dormer is he, if you see him in the first scene He's already massively tired. Yeah, he's like tired of life. He's that, already he has problems. That is that is more effective in the Nolan version. Particularly, there's a scene where he is. Um, there's a scene where he's just uh, running around the town in what is supposedly the middle of the night, but it's not because it's uh, that that is yeah. very dreamlike, a, a very effective scene. That's kind of terrifying. The idea that it's just light for twenty four hours a day. It, yeah, yeah, it, it sounds horrible. Uh, yeah. Eric Schuldberg, Eric Schuldberg, his uh, big break, or the, he got one Hollywood opportunity, which was Prozac Nation in 2001. Yeah, of course, I've seen the Did poster of that, that? In, in recent days. I haven't seen it, have you? Yeah. No, I never watched it. I, I imagine it wasn't very good because that was that was his, la- his first and only Hollywood f- film. He seems to still be working, though. Well, most recently, he made a Netflix... Well, it's a show, it's on Netflix now, called Occupied, with... He made with uh, Joe Joe Nesbo, which is uh, a, fic- a series set in a fictional future where, due to catastrophic environmental events, Norway's Prime Minister has stopped the country's oil and gas production. Russia, with support from the European Union, occupies Norway to restore its oil and gas production. Oh, that in response brilliant. to a Europe-wide energy crisis. Yeah, supposedly pretty good. Russia weren't happy about it. No, but I mean, their president just installed him, just changed the law to keep him there until he's in his late 80s. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you kind of got to accept it when you're the villain sometimes, Russia. Um, did you... Uh, oh, uh, yeah, the, the other, go on. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 please. No, I was just going to say the, the, the one change uh, I read, uh, according to the script in the Nolan version... Al Pacino's character, Dormer, was originally supposed to survive at the end and be helped away from the lake house by Ellie, Hilary Swank. But the the ending was filmed, but ultimately they decided to, to cut it and go for their sellout ending. I would say that the other one would be a sellout ending too. I'd say they're both sellout endings. Well, I guess it depends if he was going to get away with it or not. Yeah, because well, I, like, I think the like maybe the most interesting thing about the 1997 version is that he gets away with all of it. Mm, as he should, because he's a police officer. Did you pick up on the and connective tissue the between this and pickpocket? Yeah, uh, yeah, with the original insomnia more than the uh, more than the Nolan version. Yeah, how did how did you get on with pickpocket in general? Uh, I liked it. I was going to ask you, like, what is it that what is it that has drawn you towards Robert Bresson Bresson films? Because you wanted to watch Diary of a Country Priest, and you've mm. recommended you've you've added this as a companion film. So I just wondered, what's well, what's I with suppose, the Bresson? Yeah, I've, man? I've always been a little bit drawn towards his films. I, I've this was the, this is the first one of his films that I've ever watched. Um, just because I suppose he's a big part of cinema history, you know, um, like I suppose the sort of ga- the sort of game that Hitchcock brought to suspense, Bresson would have supposedly brought to psychology and emotion and things like that. And uh, yeah, I always just found that interesting, and particularly Pickpocket. Pickpocket, like as well. I've like I'm a big fan of hearing directors 
interviewed almost <laughs> almost as much as I am of watching films. I've and uh, I've always enjoyed listening to uh, Paul Schrader wax lyrical about um, Pickpocket in particular. And I actually watched an interview with him about this um, after having watched the film. So I oh also I suppose he was he's the real hero of the French New Wave. Those guys loved him. He was their god. And I like the new wave films. Uh, I think I mentioned last week about a book that I'd read about Pickpocket. And, uh, I looked it up. It was written by Paul Schrader. It's a transcendental style and film. I think he wrote it in 1972. I read that at university when I was probably at my wankiest about nice. films. Nice. God, I wish I knew that. But that Andy. was obviously that was that was pre MCU, and but that was before <laughs> I had been introduced to. The, you mean so the, 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 the resurrection Ant- of cinema? The Wasp. Yeah, so obviously Peyton Reed is now the standard. But yeah, it's, it was interesting watching it because even though I read the book 20 years ago, I, I can remember a lot of those, the elements. I kind of knew what to expect watching Pickpocket. The blurb of that book is, unlike the style of psychological realism which dominates film, the transcendental style expresses a spiritual state by means of austere camera work, acting devoid of self-consciousness and editing that avoids editorial comment. The seminal text uh, analyzes the film styles of three great directors, Yasujiro Ozu, Robert Bresson and Karl Dreyach and posits a common dramatic language used by these artists from divergent cultures. Well, you've just, I mean, I I think it's clear what's happened here. You've had, uh, I thought I had deleted all my notes, but clearly you've stolen them. Really? Is this this what you did? You wrote this. I basically... You wrote the the blurb for a 1972 book. That's impressive. That is what, that's what I did, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I liked this film as like a historical document. Yes, that's fair. Me too. That's how I felt about it. I was like, okay, I get it. I understand. I was more appreciating the importance of it rather than enjoying it as a film. One thing I will say is, well, one thing I wondered, sorry, when I was watching it is like, at what point is it okay to just, there are so many elements of this that are so directly crime and punishment the Dostoevsky estate could almost sue. Almost. Not quite. And I just w- wondered about that. Uh, like, when... I mean, is Dostoevsky like Shakespeare? Is he basically public domain and everybody can just take what they please? I, I was... As I was saying, like, I, I can see the importance of this film at, in kind of film history, but if I compare it to other films that we've watched of the similar time period, I far prefer Wages of Fear, Rafifi, The Killing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No question. Et cetera, et cetera. No, like yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, uh, come, we'll come to some of. Yeah. We can once again like sing the the refrain from Matt Greening's The Critic, you know, um, as sung by John Lovitz, I believe. I uh, like French films, boring, pretentious French films. Which I mean, this is once again, this is a film that well, I can't remember what. Oh yeah, this is a film that I I'd say it's neck and neck with Claire Denis' films in you know riding the pretentious French wave. There's a lot. Uh, okay, I'll say this: pickpocket is seventy-five minutes, which yes. every film should be seventy-five minutes. <laughs> a slightly long episode, a longer episode of a of a serialized TV show. I agree. Every every um, film should be the length of good. a of a season finale. Seventy-five minutes of pickpocket compared to ninety minutes of Beau Travail, like this. That seventy-five minutes is like 15 minutes of... There's much of, more uh, plot in Claire, Pickpocket Claire than Beautravaille as well. Yeah, definitely. But less male nudity, unfortunately. Was there anything else to say? I was going to say something and I've completely... Oh yeah, we'll touch on some of the crime and punishment elements later. I, I mentioned it a little bit, but like I... I've, as I say, I've only read part of Crime and Punishment. But I did go to the Wikipedia synopsis just to make sure. Nice. So Pickpocket is a 1959 French film written and directed by Robert Bresson. It stars Martin LaSalle. I don't think it's LaSalle. I think it's LaSalle. At the time, uh, a non-professional Uruguayan actor at the time of filming. Uh, He played the titular Pickpocket Michel uh, alongside Marika Green, who is the aunt of Eva Green, as Mm. his love interest Jeanne. At the time of filming, how old do you think she was? 17. Ooh, 16. Nice. She famously she famously went on to have sex with Sylvia Cristal in the first Emmanuel film. In the what film? 
be on the lookout for that. <laughs> Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel? You never, you've never seen that? No. Emmanuel. Oh my God. I can't believe you don't. This must be the age difference between us again. Well, it was, uh, these were like kind of soft core porno f- series Wait, of porno Ema- films Emmanuel from the 1970s. is kind of, I think I, Emmanuel is like shorthand for like Latin Lothario type figure, isn't it? Mm, well, it's a film, it's starring Sylvia Cristalli. It spawned like a, a massive kind of, oh, I want to say oh, like I have a it up franchise here, yeah. of like, yeah, it's like softcore porn from the 70s. Is it was it worth watching? It was, a, it was a big, big hit. I like the I like the name of the director. Just Jackin. <laughs> <laughs> Just Jackin, baby. Just Jackin. <laughs> is that a, is that a real French name? Just Jackin. I don't know. Just Jackin. Just Jackin. But Just Jackin, baby. That's a good for a softcore porn director name. That's they don't get much better than that. Anyway, this that is a slight departure. We're talking about Pickpocket from 1959, where Marika Green was 16. She's only 16, all right? So this was uh, Bresson's first original screenplay and is widely hailed as one of his greatest works. Right, this is the point that you were addressing. This is his first original screenplay, and yeah. it's Crime and Punishment. I mean, it's not completely, but there are elements that are like, okay, his relationship with his mother direct lift from crime and punishment his relationship with gene particularly and how that transpires with his redemption directly lifted from crime and punishment Uh, his interactions with the um, police inspector directly lifted from crime and punishment so i mean like all the way through to the ending as well right oh completely yeah completely and it's like so you can in Woody Allen's oeuvre, you've got two very interesting explorations of the idea of crime and punishment in Crimes and Misdemeanors and Matchpoint. And those are explorations of ideas raised by, like, mm. the dense philosophical novel. But here, like, in Bresson, like, de- like huge elements. Uh, so I <laughs> I don't know has anybody ever called him up on it before, but I'm going to. Because this isn't exactly independent of a book. I, like, no, I don't accept that at all. Strangely, uh Compared to all the other films that we've watched from the similar period, uh, the two stars of this film are still alive, which is quite impressive. I was just thinking, like, if you were going to call Robert Bresson out, he's definitely dead. Hmm. But if you do want to, like, tweet the, the, Oi, the, uh, the main actors... Oi, LaSalle! LaSalle, <laughs> you're a disgrace. Oi, How mate! Dare you? Yeah, as is... Um Marika Green is still alive. I wonder how is she looking. She fine. Ah, I don't Swedish. know. She's like a hundred. How old is she? Yeah, she's Swedish French. She's in her seventies. I must look her up. Why not? Yeah, for, forget Eva Green. She's overrated. Go straight to the source. So the film starts with an opening crawl, basically warning the viewer that they are not watching a thriller. They are oh, going yeah. to bear witness to an examination of character with no narrative manipulation. It's weird that they used to, because they used to do that in Hollywood there. You're like, I mean, really, uh, in all films about criminals, uh, they would say, remember, crime doesn't pay. You, That's in so many films. And that's this film's version of it. It's like, this is not a thing, but like it explains to you what you're supposed to think about the film. The film is narrated throughout by Michel, the pickpocket, as he writes in his diary, explaining both his actions and his mental processes. In the first scene, we see him performing his first theft at a racetrack. He lifts a woman's purse out of her handbag. All of the pickpocketing scenes are filmed with a mix of close-ups on faces and hands. You can immediately see uh, why LaSalle was cast in the film. Well, this is my opinion here. I think uh, he's he's a good looking he's a good looking young man, but he's got a really expressive face, and he also has a really unusual gait that you yeah, don't he see does, much. Yeah. The way he he walks, he's got such a strange walk. I mean, the, I think it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, I think the big massive suit helps with that as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I totally it's agree. Like two four sizes too big. He has this really weird kind of march where he swings his arms back and forth. I wonder if actors have to learn. Because they, I'm assuming that part of like most trained actors learn how to move. Yeah. And this guy LaSalle, you're like, what the, f- <laughs> what is this? What are you doing? <laughs> he's just, uh, it's like his own his own weird way of walking, but it it works really well. On his way out of the racetrack, Michel is picked up by the police. They take him down to the station, but ultimately let him go as they don't have any proof of his theft. He lives alone in a small room in relative poverty. 
Uh, one day he heads over to see his ailing mother and runs into the young girl who's left looking after her, Jeanne. Michel gives Jeanne some of the money he stole to give to his mum, but he's reluctant to spend time with his mother, presumably from the shame of his circumstances. But none of this is ever addressed, which is part of the... Uh, Paul was Paul Schrader talks about the transcendental style of film, that the, the filmmaker's not passing judgment. We're not really... Anything that occurred between Michel and his mother is 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 none none your business. Yeah, it, I mean to none to give business. it its due, it's it's like this might this may well have just been the first of something that we've just begun to take completely for granted. You know, Michel goes to meet his friend Jacques in a bar. While there, he recognizes the police inspector who arrested him at the racetrack, and the three men sit down to chat. Here, Michel lays out his theory that there exist exceptional men who should not be bound by the rules oh, of civilized is... society and should be allowed to break the law because they are supermen. This seems to be his justification for pickpocketing. Is this pretty much crime and punishment? Yeah, yeah, this is absolutely textbook crime Raskalnikov. and punishment. Raskolnikov like, basically thinks he is, he is good enough to get away with murder and he deserves the money rather than anybody else. Yeah, so that's exactly what Michel is uh, describing to the inspector. Why does he hang out with the police inspector? Uh, I don't know. I think it might have some of kind of the attraction of like something like. Have you ever seen Rope, the Alfred Hitchcock film? Mm, no. Like I don't know. Maybe just enjoys directly interacting with the cop on that level. More sort of a morbid fascination with it, I suppose. Could be like that. Like that. He also it, seems to be. That is from. Crime he also and seems to have like well. a sensation of threat. Like there's so he he also seems to have like this feeling that he's under threat constantly. Like he's all he's paranoid. He seems quite paranoid throughout. Mm. Like especially which is strange because this is in a time where there's no observation that you could commit a crime so easily in 1959. <laughs> the, the idea of of worrying at all. Like if you're you he he could just leave. He he. <laughs> He, yeah. One way to escape the police is to lock your door. This fucker, <laughs> Michel, never shuts a door. It really annoyed me all throughout the film. He just leaves his door open this constantly. The, he doesn't is, shut the door. This is the way you and I like think about the world in 1959. When I heard um, Martin LaSalle was from Uruguay, I was thinking, I didn't think you could get from Uruguay to France in 1959. Yeah. How do people do that? <laughs> it was part of this. He, he, what happened was Martin LaSalle got into a wager with someone uh, who wagered that he wouldn't be able to make it to France in 80 days. I and see. He used hot air balloons and he, he, his, his mates were all animals and he himself was a lion man. We've already, we've talked, we've, <laughs> yes, 100%, we have. we've talked about Philly Fogg, Willie Fogg, whatever the <laughs> fuck he's called. We've talked about this at some point. And you sang the song, I even recall. I'm going to cut that for that exact reason. <laughs> we see a few scenes. Yeah, don't do that again. We see a few scenes of Michel working on the metro. He uses a folded newspaper technique to lift some wallets in the crowded carriage, but pickings are slim and the risk is high. At one point, a man catches him and forces him to return a wallet that he stole. This leads to Michel hiding out for a spell in his room before Jeanne and Jacques show up as Jeanne tells Michelle that his mother is unwell. But Michelle is again uh, reluctant to go see her and send Jacques in his place. I like those scenes of the pickpocketing on the metro and using the folded paper technique. Yeah, all the technique it's stuff a, is interesting nice enough. All of those scenes reminded me of the controversy over Rafifi. Because I remember when we watched that, the, the, the heist scene was very controversial because it was viewed in many places as being a type of how-to oh, how yeah. burgle manual. And this is like pickpocketing 101. I, I wonder how many people were inspired to steal after watching this. Uh, next, Michel runs into a stranger in the street who beckons him to a bar where he then teaches Michel a whole host of pickpocketing techniques, including taking a wallet with one hand dropping it and catching it with the other hand and they both play pinball to keep their fingers supple the 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 way that that um pickpocket the i don't know what what you call him master pickpocket the way that he's introduced is really bizarre i went back and watched it a few times because like michelle comes out of his building and starts walking hmm. and then he reaches he kind of he he looks over and sees someone and he's like what what is it and then the camera cuts and we see the other like the other thief just walking in the street 
And he follows it's a, him. It's yeah. a really, really bizarre. Yeah, it's just a really, really bizarre way that he's introduced. But uh, yeah, I like I like that guy. Uh, then Michel finally goes to see his mother, and they have a chat. He makes amends, and then she dies. Oh, is that similar to Crime and Punishment? Mm, his, no. his his mother dies, right? I can't remember. At some point, no. I think so. I think I remember from that amazing Wikipedia synopsis. Uh, Michelle is reading a book called The Prince of Pickpockets, a 1930 biography of the Irish pickpocket George Barrington, who was a famed thief in London and, and Dublin before being caught and sent to Botany Bay, Australia, as a convict. Oh, imagine there being he was a famed emancipated. thief. Yeah. I mean, you're, that's not That's like being James Bond. Is you don't want to be a, a famed spy. No, Similarly, certainly not. A famed thief. Not great. Especially a pickpocket. So uh, in Australia, and uh, he he was eventually emancipated and rose to the rank of High Constable of the Convicts of Parramatta, a suburb of Sydney, making him the most successful Irish man of all time. And I wouldn't go well that respected. far now. What about Bono? I, he, I don't know if this guy had sunglasses or not. The next scenes are my favorites, I would say. Michel, his teacher and a third accomplice go to Gare de Lyon and rob person after person in the station with a series of highly organized pickpocketing schemes, which are really well explained visually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. And eventually Michel's two partners are arrested, although Michel escapes. He's visited at his apartment by the inspector who explains that he's been watching Michel for a long time. Michel then tells Jean that he needs to leave as the police are going to arrest him too. He books it to the station, jumps on a train to Milan, and his diary reveals that he spends the next two years just living at large in Milan and London, ripping people off and blowing the money on gambling and ladies. And we just have to use our imagination for that part. Yeah, I, I know. I wanted to see that part. I know, we'll yeah. see that bit. It's... Uh, it's, it's mad as well, it's mad as well that he again. spent that two years in London and then on his way back just said, oh, I better update the old diary, actually. Michelle ends up penniless back in Paris and goes to see Jeanne. She's unmarried and has a young child. Michelle tells her that he can live an honest life to help look after her and her son. He works for a time, which is probably like about a shift or two, and earns some money before thinking, fuck this, it's time to get back into the pickpocketing game. He heads down to the racetrack again and tries to pickpocket a man standing behind him who has a big wad of cash in his pocket. This is a really beautifully framed scene. I, I've clipped the, what, the uh, one image from this because Martin LaSalle's face is just absolutely perfect in this scene where he's, he's trying to pickpocket the man standing behind him. Oh, send me um, that. But it turns out... Oh, yeah, oh, I will. Mm. It turns out to be a sting operation and Michelle is arrested. In jail, Jeanne comes to see him. At this point, Michelle realizes that he is in love with her and his love or her love is going to save him and he loves her and she loves him and they're probably going to be okay, but he's in jail, but who knows, the end. That is exactly the end of Crime and Punishment. That's what I understand. Hmm. So he eventually... Raskolnikov is sent to Siberia. That's right, yeah. And I forget the name of the... Cynthia or Sylvia or something? Sonia. Sonia, yeah. Sonia follows him um, and just basically lives in the town and ends up... Like, she brings food to the prisoners and stuff every day and eventually... um, Because Raskolnikov can barely, like... Can't can't bear to look at her because she, I don't know she's just so forgiving of him and then if, when eventually he accepts her love he seems to forgive himself. So that's basically that's all you need to redeem yourself is the love of a good woman. This is it exactly yeah and uh, she was a prostitute as well so I don't know does that hold extra the merit? love of a good prostitute. But it is so. Are you happy to finally have uh, made a dent in the Robert Bresson collection? I'm more happy that I saw the original Insomnia. Yeah, me too, probably. I didn't expect to be, to be honest. I, I'd always wondered what it was. Like, I'd always kind of wondered how it would differ, but... Hmm. It does have some... Uh, it's just, as we've discussed, it's a completely different film. And it has merit, but it Ye- doesn't have Al Pacino talking about toilets. Have a... Is it my week to toss a coin? It is. I'll just quickly explain what I chose. Do, please. So what I, I decided, because I've been watching The Night Of, and that's written by Steve Zalian, I decided to go for something else written by Steve Zalian that I missed, 2019's The Irish Man, which I'm sure everyone everywhere has seen, but I have not because of how long it is. Uh, yeah, all right. 
that's a good one to step up to the plate with. Myself, I'm picking something that definitely everybody and their mums has seen, which is a very famous slasher film called Nightmare on Elm Street, which I have never, in fact, seen. Mad. Aye, cool. So, on offer, I have... What are the uh, options? I have a two and a weird hexagon stonemason kind of thing. Stop, mason. Mason's all the way. Handshakes. All right. Cool. Oh, speaking of which, have you been watching the new Line of Duty? No, I'm waiting until it ends. So That's probably a good call. Anything. Line of Duty is so mad. It's when you it's watch not it week to be watched on a weekly basis. When no, you no, watch it week insane. to week, you do realize just how mad it is. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't. I will be. I'll be watching it all in one day. And I said, uh, yeah, victory Hexagon for the Illuminati, Mason. the Irishman. It is. Oh shit. <laughs> And now I need to carve out like an, an extra few hours in my oh, week. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh bollocks. Oh dear. What could I have won? Well, here's, I decided I chose uh, uh, another harder film. I decided to go recent and I went for Rose Glass's St. Maud. St. Maud. Okay. It's a good movie. Saw that in the cinema. It's probably the last thing I saw mm. in the cinema actually. Um, oh dear. Oh dear. Uh, okay. What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> you fucking idiot. What have you done? Is it six hours? What is it? Das Boot. <laughs> it's ten hours long. Oh, right. We're watching, it? we're watching Casino, Andy. What can I say? Oh, that's fine. I mean, I've seen Casino a million times, but yeah, why not? All right, sweet as. I'm going to press stop. All right. Thank okay. you very much. I enjoyed this week as I do every week. And uh, I love you. Amen. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.